I'm delighted to welcome a new supporting sponsor to the local government news roundup family. It's Ventio, a leading essential infrastructure services provider, redefining service excellence for communities across Australia and New Zealand. Ventio is operating at over 400 sites and with a large and diverse workforce of over 35,000. They specialise in the long-term operation, maintenance and management of critical public and private assets and infrastructure across a broad range of industry segments, including defence and social infrastructure, infrastructure services, telecommunications and transport. For local government, Ventia specialises in the end-to-end delivery of open space management, soft and hard facilities management, street cleansing, minor capital works and much more. Ventia brings capability in whole-of-life asset management and robust use of data for better decision-making for their clients. Ventia, making infrastructure work sustainably for our communities. Head to ventia.com to find out more. Hello, it's time for the latest from the Local Government News Roundup. I'm Chris Eddy, coming to you from the land of the Wadawurrung people. On the podcast today, an absurd bidding war between a council and the state government. A court win for Marybeck Council and its community. School crossing supervisors back on the job in Strathbogie. New councillors set to take office at five councils. A councillor censured by his council rails about the process and releases confidential documents. CEO appointment and recruitment news. A council cleared in a mascot towers investigation, while another apologises for making people think their homes were going to be bulldozed. Plus, more UK councils reveal their dire financial state. Just some of the local government stories making news this week. Let's round them up. It's the weekend update for the 12th of August 2023. Thanks for joining me for the podcast. Brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, the national broadcaster on all things local government. And by Snapsend Solve, about to head out on a New South Wales tour, culminating at the LG Professionals Customer Experience Conference on the 24th and 25th of August. Now, let's start with our Victorian roundup. Reports this week of a potential bidding war between the state government and Port Phillip City Council for a piece of land in Fisherman's Bend, which was earmarked as open space in the precinct's master plan. The Age reports that the council wants the site, currently owned by Australia Post, to relieve pressure on football and cricket needs at the adjacent North Port Oval. But it's been revealed that Australia Post is negotiating with the Department of Education, which wants to buy it for a new school. Port Phillip Mayor Heather Consolo described the idea of a bidding war for the site as absurd, and she wants the state government to jointly fund developing the site for sporting use and open space. Marybeck Council has won a Supreme Court case brought against it by a local community organisation. The case relates to the use of former council land at Montfort Park in Brunswick, which was sold to Dar Alorda Community Centre in 2004, on condition that the basketball court remain accessible to the community. The council says it has made many attempts over some years to influence the site owner to provide that community access, including undergoing court-ordered mediation. The court has ruled that the land must be sold back to the council and Mayor Angelica Panopoulos says the community will be asked for input on how they want to access the building and courts on the site in the future. 
In more Marybeck news, the Council has issued an invitation to state and federal governments to use council resources to address the housing affordability crisis. Those resources include council-owned land in Coburg, which it says could accommodate public and affordable housing if delivered in partnership with all levels of government. And the Council's decision to allocate funding to support the Yes campaign for the Voice to Parliament has led to public criticism from one of its own councillors. Councillor Oscar Yildiz took to the airwaves on 3AW and described the decision as an abuse of councillors' roles and a waste of ratepayer money. The story has also been picked up by Sky News. Supervisors have returned to four school crossings in Strathbogieshire, funded by the state government. The Shepparton News reported this week that the four crossings in Euroa, Avenal and Ngambi are on government-managed roads, while a remaining crossing at Ngambi Primary School, which is on a council-managed road, remains unfunded. Strathbogie Shire exited the program earlier this year on principle over the shifting of costs to ratepayers for providing a government service. Some school principals are reported to have stepped in to man the crossings when the council stepped away. Strathbogie Mayor Laura Binks has previously called on the government to rethink its position on funding the school crossing at Ngambi Primary School and expressed concern that the funding commitment for the other four crossings is not ongoing. A decision to take a council meeting online at the last minute has attracted criticism from a group of local residents in Hobson's Bay. They'd arranged a march in Altona on Tuesday evening. According to the Star Weekly, Mayor Antoinette Briffer said the decision to move the meeting online was difficult but necessary due to the risk of an unpredictable, stressful and potentially volatile environment. The protest came after the council wrote to residents living in an industrial estate, Techno Park, in contravention of planning rules. It was reported that participants in the protest included Councillor Jorge Jaquera from neighbouring Maribyrnong, Councillor Sue Bolton from Marybeck and former Altona Chief Executive John Shaw. Since the initial notification in May, residents received a follow-up letter from the council's CEO advising that extra time would be given to find new homes as the council did not want anyone to become homeless during a housing crisis. In the latest developments, Mayor Briffer published a lengthy statement on the council website seeking to clarify a number of points and reassure people that it wasn't forcing anyone onto the street. In a six-page response, Techno Park residents described that statement as misleading and said the council has already caused residents to become homeless. The Age reported, having seen correspondence from local MP Melissa Horn, in which she raises the matter with the Premier's office and suggests a cross-government task force to deal with the situation. And the proposed motion from Councillor Daria Callender to enable residents to ask questions of councillors and officers in person failed to attract a seconder on Tuesday night and lapsed. She said on Facebook that that was disappointing but not surprising. You can read the reports on the resident protest and the further developments from The Age and The Star Weekly. There are links in our show notes. The search for a new Chief Executive Officer at Greater Bendigo has commenced. The Council has advertised the position this weekend and expects the process to be highly competitive. Current CEO Craig Neiman is stepping down in December after 16 years in the role and 40 years in local government. It's understood Mr Neiman will be seeking new opportunities in 2024. The recruitment process is being handled by Davidson. A former councillor is tipped to return to the council table at Greater Geelong following the resignation of Stephanie Asher. A report from Bay 93.9 reveals that the fourth-placed candidate at the 2020 election, Corey Wolverton, has moved out of the region and is no longer eligible to be elected. The next-placed candidate on first preference votes was Tom O'Connor, a former councillor who says he is prepared to 
take on the role. The countback to fill the extraordinary vacancy has been set for 10am on Monday the 28th of August. And the City of Melbourne has unveiled new e-scooters with camera and GPS technology to deal with illegal footpath and tandem riding. The Guardian has the story on the Council's response to complaints about rule-breaking by users of the devices. Deputy Mayor Nicholas Rees says the technology has been developed to encourage better behaviour, including audio warnings when riders take the scooters into areas they shouldn't. There are 25 of the updated machines so far and the technology will eventually be rolled out to the entire fleet. Here are some Victorian briefs. A new name for the planned Geelong Convention and Event Centre has been announced. It'll be known as Nyal Banyul, a name gifted from the Wadawurrung Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation. It means open your eyes to the hills. The centre is due for completion in 2026. On Monday, Knox City Council will consider the outcome of a review of its role as a kindergarten service provider, including staff feedback on a proposed exit from running standalone sessional kindergarten services and the lease of its buildings to alternate providers. Any changes would not take effect until January 2025. We've had some countback results this week. At Indigo Shire, after the resignation of Larry Goldsworthy, Sue Gold has been declared the successful candidate and will take up the role for the remaining 14 months of the council term. At Strathbogie, there was only one remaining eligible candidate from the 2020 election, and that's Shirley Saywell, who will take up the position vacated by Christy Hurrigan. Similarly, at Bass Coast Shire, only one remaining eligible candidate, and that was Jeff Ellis, to replace Bruce Kent, who recently resigned. And just ducking back to Strathbogie for a moment, they've unveiled the nation's biggest magpie there this week. The highly anticipated Tank and Tobin magpie sculpture has been installed in Seven Creeks Park, Euroa. The official opening was on Friday afternoon. The three and a half metre high sculpture joins the ranks of other big monuments such as the Big Banana, the Big Merino and the Big Prawn in other parts of Australia. But I think the Big Magpie tops them all. Lots to tell you about in the National Roundup today, and that's just ahead. The National Trust of Australia says it wants to see more councils introduce significant tree registers as it pushes for protection of a scenic avenue of trees in Bright. The ABC reports that the National Trust is concerned that some pin oak and elm trees on the Great Alpine Road could make way for a housing development. There are no statutory protections for the trees, and the local council, Alpine Shire, does not have a formal register for significant trees. The Trust's Victorian Advocacy Manager, Madeline Moore, told the ABC that councils could do more to protect trees from development projects by having a significant tree register. Coming this week, a chance to learn more about how independent planning panels might work in Victoria if the recommendations of IBAC's Operation Sandon report are implemented. The VLGA has assembled a panel of experts to talk about the New South Wales experience and to answer your questions about what to expect from the proposed model. The live VLGA Connect webinar event is on Friday the 18th of August at 12.30pm. Register your place now at www.vlga.org. You're listening to the Local Government News Roundup with Chris Eddy. We 
We've rounded up some of the stories making news in local government circles across the country this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. In New South Wales, firstly, Lismore Councillor Big Rob has been censured by fellow councillors after an investigation into comments he made on Facebook last year. An investigation found that he'd breached the council's code of conduct and brought the council into disrepute for inferring that he would sue a pensioner for her house. His comments were described by the investigators as improper or unethical, according to a report from the Daily Telegraph. Councillor Robb released the documents from the confidential proceedings on Facebook and described the process as a kangaroo court with no procedural fairness or appeal rights. He is reported to have told the investigators that it was a personal matter and not related to council. The investigators found that he had identified himself as a councillor on the unofficial Facebook account and that his comments were about council affairs and therefore relevant for consideration under the Code of Conduct. The council vote to censure Councillor Robb was deadlocked and passed on the casting vote of the Mayor, Steve Krieg. Another independent investigation, this one into Bayside Council's involvement in the defective mascot towers issue. It's cleared the council of any wrongdoing, according to a report from the Daily Telegraph. Former local government minister Wendy Tuckerman triggered the investigation last year when it appeared that relevant council documents relating to the assessment and approval of the building development had gone missing. In a report to Parliament, the investigators say the council satisfied its obligations in the processing and assessment of the development application and that they had not identified anything to warrant further investigation. The council was also cleared in relation to the certification of construction and occupation of the building from which residents were evacuated in June 2019 after the discovery of cracking throughout the building. The development was ultimately abandoned due to ongoing structural defects. Hornsby Shire Mayor Philip Ruddock has called on the New South Wales Government to provide funding and support for councils to ensure adequate waste management for their communities. Concerns have been raised about a potential waste capacity crisis by 2030, with analysis conducted for the Government showing that additional landfill capacity, organics processing facilities and effective transport options are needed within the next decade. Mayor Ruddock emphasised the need for a whole-of-government approach to the issue, stating that local government alone cannot solve the crisis. He's encouraging Sydney councils to work together and has urged the New South Wales government to invest the revenue from the waste levy in initiatives that accelerate the transition to a circular economy and build necessary waste infrastructure. In Queensland, Logan City Council has disregarded the findings of an independent investigation and cleared a councillor of inappropriate behaviour. The Courier-Mail reports that Councillor Lisa Bradley was investigated over two posts on a council Facebook page promoting the sales of a book she'd written. The investigation followed a referral from the Office of the Independent Assessor which had received two complaints about the posts. The finding that she'd engaged in inappropriate behaviour was submitted to the council along with recommendations that she meet some of the investigation costs and issue a public admission that she'd acted inappropriately. However, 10 of the city's 13 councillors voted to not accept the report and instead found in her favour. Brisbane City Council has apologised to residents who received a letter that led them to believe their houses were going to be bulldozed. The ABC reports that the ambiguous wording of the letter left some people in shock and fearful for the future of their homes. A council spokesperson said that the houses had been added to an indicative list of properties that the council would like to buy if and when they came on the market, but that no compulsory acquisition process was being undertaken. A follow-up letter is being sent to reassure residents that there are no plans to take their homes from them. 
The original, ambiguously worded letter was sent to almost 15,000 properties in the Brisbane Council area. An international student whose car was swallowed by a sinkhole in Southport has been thrown a lifeline by Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate. Nine News reported that the council had initially rejected a request to pay for the damage to the vehicle on the basis that they were not legally liable. The student, Rena Hapala, did not have comprehensive car insurance and has limited means being on a study visa with restricted ability to work. After Nine News made inquiries, Mayor Tate has overruled the administration's decision and agreed that the council will pay Ms Hapala the market value of her vehicle. The sinkhole was caused by a burst water main and the council initially claimed the water main was within expected life parameters and that the event was out of its knowledge or control. In South Australia, a council is reconsidering the future use of a piece of land that was earmarked for a multi-million dollar medical clinic. The proposed Border Town Medical Hub Clinic on land owned by Tatiara District Council will not proceed due to a $2 million cost blowout. Rising construction costs and interest rates have led to a decision to look for another site in Border Town. Tatiara Mayor Liz Goosen said it was a disappointing outcome and the council will consider its options in light of current conditions in the construction sector. A Tasmanian council is looking into whether a leading greyhound trainer has breached his kennel licence after footage emerged of poor conditions at his property. West Tamar Council last year approved a retrospective kennel licence for Anthony Bullock after he'd operated without one for a decade. Pulse Radio in Hobart reports that the footage released by an animal rights group allegedly shows cramped and unsuitable conditions for greyhounds and other items of a concerning nature. Mr Bullock's greyhound training licence has been suspended by the Office of Racing Integrity while an investigation is undertaken. And in Western Australia, the City of Melville will consider whether it should develop a neighbourhood dispute mediation policy. Councillor Glynis Barber has put forward the idea as a way of dealing with communications breakdowns between neighbours, which often involve the city and its councillors. Councillor Barber is suggesting that a policy may help the city to play a constructive role in facilitating amicable outcomes between neighbours who are willing to participate. The council will vote on Councillor Barber's suggestion at its meeting this week. In the National Briefs, we have another new councillor to report. Gold Coast has appointed a captain in the Army Education Corps as the replacement councillor for Cameron Caldwell, who was elected in the by-election for the federal seat of Fadden. Shelley Curtis was selected from 17 nominated candidates to fill the seat until elections next March, in which she says she'll definitely be running to remain in the role. Snowy Monaro Regional Council is creating a road name bank in preparation for an increasing number of subdivisions. It's asking the community to suggest relevant and distinctive names to go into a bank to speed up the process of naming the many new roads it's expecting to be created in the next few years. Submissions are being invited up until the 3rd of September. And Sutherland Shire Council CEO Manjeet Gruel has received a new three-year contract. She's held the role since April 2019 when she became the first woman to hold the top job at that Council. The Council voted 13 to 1 to renew Ms Gruel's contract on existing total remuneration package arrangements. Now on the Local Government News Roundup, it's time for the International Spotlight. 
Indeed it is, thank you. And here's a selection of stories that caught my eye from around the world this week in local government land. A report this week from The Guardian looks at the growing number of UK councils facing a serious financial crisis. Kirkley's Council, the 13th largest local authority in the UK, is facing a significant funding gap of £47 million. The council, located in West Yorkshire, has warned that it may go bankrupt unless the gap is closed. If the necessary savings are not achieved and expenditure minimised, the Council may have to issue a Section 114 notice indicating an inability to balance its budget in the 24-25 financial year. Several other authorities may also issue similar notices this year if the government doesn't provide additional funding. Woking Council in Surrey was forced to issue a Section 114 notice after a risky investment strategy left it with a £1.2 billion deficit. The Council had invested in commercial assets such as skyscrapers and hotels, but the debt became overwhelming. Other councils, including Kent, Hastings, Southampton, Guildford and Bradford have also warned of potential Section 114 notices. In the US, two individuals who were arrested at a city council meeting in Wilmington have filed a lawsuit against the city and its officials. Daryl Petrie and Tony Thomas filed the complaint in federal court seeking damages for what they claim was unlawful restraint, retaliation and malicious prosecution. The arrests occurred after Petrie and Thomas made critical comments about the outgoing mayor during the meeting. The Wilmington News Journal reports the cases against them were later dismissed. The plaintiffs are seeking injunctive relief, attorney fees and compensatory damages. The attorney representing them said the purpose of the lawsuit is not only to vindicate Petrie and Thomas, but also to protect the rights of all Wilmington citizens. The city of Wilmington declined to comment on the pending litigation. A smart city project in Dallas is being hailed for its crime reduction results and quality of life improvements. Axios.com has reported how the Red Cloud project in southeast Dallas is restoring faith in the premise of smart city initiatives after many delivered few results from high investments. The project used AI cameras on streetlights, Wi-Fi in 190 homes and air quality monitors and has delivered a dramatic improvement in perceived peace of mind and safety among residents. There are plans to expand the project next to detect gunshots and illegal dumping. Now city council members in other districts are envious and they're wanting the project to be replicated in their districts. Now let's check in on New Zealand's Gore District Council, which has been the centre of attention in recent months. It's been revealed this week that it spent just over $11,000 on a facilitation process to mend fractured relationships among council members. Radio New Zealand reports that the council turned to an outside facilitator after a tumultuous start to the triennium, which saw the election of 23-year-old Ben Bell as mayor. The facilitation process involved one-on-one meetings between the facilitator and each of the 10 councillors and the mayor, followed by a joint facilitation meeting. Bell has acknowledged mistakes were made and that he'd tried to implement too much change. He also mentioned his relationship with Council Chief Executive Stephen Parry has improved. Despite calls for his resignation, Bell and his deputy Keith Hovell stated that the council is now united and focused on serving the community. Councils and schools in New Zealand are expressing concerns over significant increases in audit fees imposed by Audit New Zealand. Many councils are facing fee hikes of 43% or more, leading to fears that services will have to be cut to cover the costs. The Kaikoura District Council, for example, is facing a 64% increase in fees, while Nelson Mayor Nick Smith's council is looking at a 60% increase. Local Government New Zealand has called on the central government to take action to reduce audit fees. 
And finally, to Canada for a curious case. Speculation is rife in New Brunswick province as to why a small council, which hasn't met since May, has been taken over by the province and the council removed. The reason for the takeover isn't clear. The local government minister, Glenn Savoy, won't say why he's decided to install a supervisor to make decisions for Lakeland Ridges Council, which is located near the border with the US state of Maine. CBC says under the law it could be because it couldn't pay its bills, maintain a quorum or just generally be unable to carry on the business of a council. The minister hasn't revealed the reason and the former mayor says she's unable to comment. The amalgamated municipality with a population of less than 3,000 has only been in existence for a year and its future now, you'd have to say, is looking uncertain. We'll keep an eye on that one and bring you any updates in future editions. That brings us to a close with our edition for the 12th of August 2023 from the Local Government News Roundup. It's brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association with support from Snapsend Solve. You can find links to the stories referenced in the episode and a full transcript at lgnewsroundup.com. While you're there, check out the latest breaking news updates and learn how you can support the Roundup by becoming a subscriber through a small monthly contribution, which you can cancel at any time. The Local Government News Roundup is recorded in the city of Greater Geelong, Victoria, on the land of the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. More of the latest Local Government News coming your way next week. Until then, thanks for listening and bye for now. Local Government News Roundup is proudly supported by Davidson. For 30 years, Davidson has been strengthening the local government sector by identifying and providing the people, expertise and experience that local government needs to enhance its capability, productivity and performance. Davidson is nationally recognised for its executive recruitment services and over the past four years has built a business advisory practice rapidly evolving into one of the nation's foremost and trusted local government business consultancy firms. The Davidson methodology and approach is simple. Thinking beyond now and aiming to be a valued partner with your local government, not just for the immediate project, but for the next 30 years. Speak to Justin Hanney or Seamus Scanlon to find out more or head to davidsonwp.com.au. Davidson, your future, your partner.